And we're back with another episode of Rich Text. And today we're going to dive into Mayor of Easttown, a show that captivated at least like certain parts of the internet over the past seven weeks and literally crashed HBO Max this weekend. It was harrowing, (laughs) harrowing Sunday night. I've never been so grateful that we pay for cable in addition to HBO Max and like 17 other streaming services. Um, we should probably. I did learn something really <laughs> fascinating about the creation of Mayor of Easttown. If I could just put this right at the top, because I feel like it's very important for a certain kind of generation. The creator of Mayor of Easttown is actually the same person who created Homestar Runner. I like can't even wrap my head around that. <laughs> Um, I think of them as being completely different (laughs) versions of the universe. He has the range. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Incredible range. So uh, those of you listening can probably tell we have a special guest with us today. Um, Joining us today to kind of dig into Mayor of Easttown and all of our varying conflicting feelings about it is Esme Wang who is the deeply talented and wonderful author of The Border of Paradise and The Collected Schizophrenias. And we are so glad to have her with us today. Thank you so much for having me here to talk about a detective show on HBO. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for joining us. That matters. <laughs> yes. I, so this is, I don't know yet how you feel about the show, Esme. Emma and I are kind of on two sides of a divide. Emma is on the side of the divide that literally everyone else in the world is on. She loves the show. I secretly think maybe it's a bad show. And Mm -hmm. my husband is the only other person I know who feels this way. Maybe we have like a folie adieu sort of thing going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm I'm excited to talk through it with with you two. Um, As often happens with these things, um, we'll probably end up like agreeing with each other's points most of the time. Yeah, I think I'm in in the middle. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Yeah, I I was saying to Clara earlier that like I always am very compelled by her criticisms and I think that I have um, just a really nice ability to like hone in on things that I like about cultural products and just like let them wash over me and be like, all the flaws I can just sort of like ignore and exist in, uh, in, Listen, in bliss. Let's not be <laughs> negative. Let's not focus on the flaws, you know, let's just like, yeah, well, we're going to look, we're going to talk about it all. And it's going to be, it's going to be fun because Kate Winslet and water. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Do we all have water? Uh, was one of the first things I heard about the show was just how incredibly dedicated Kate Winslet was to perfecting the accent in this show. Yeah, there was so much um, PR around Mm -hmm. the accents. And I I sort of understand why, because, you know, anything to make a show pop in this day and age, like I will routinely see shows on streaming services that are new that are starring like A-listers that I've never heard of. So they're like, we got to make this show pop. Also, we invested a lot of money and time in this whole learning the Delco accent thing. Let's make it work for us. Um, But it did start to seem to me like it created such a narrative of like competent execution around the show that everyone was like just super prepared to see it as a really well executed piece of prestige TV. I mean, how did you feel, uh, Esme, about the show overall? 
Well, I think that, um, yeah, going into it, it had that kind of weight of it's got Kate Winslet in it and she worked so hard on the accent and it's got this really, it's about Pennsylvania, a lot of dark, uh, actually, I recently did a podcast about Blue Valentine, which is also a very unhappy uh, piece of art made about Pennsylvania. Um, Everything in Pennsylvania, it's <laughs> overcast 100% of the time. That's what I learned. Oh my gosh. It's yes. a climatological um, mystery why that would be the case there. But um, I think I felt about the show, the way that, I mean, I think, I think that it was fine. Um, I think that it had its strong suits it had its negative things but I really felt um the way that one of my friends uh felt about it we, we were kind of DMing on slack throughout the entire series and we both agreed that the last episode was what really made the entire series so I, I actually I totally agree and I think that's for me why it did stick the landing was because there were like themes that were honed in on in that finale um that to me sort of felt like the strongest part of it. And the execution was by no means perfect. There were things I, I certainly took issue with. Um, but overall, I thought it did this interesting thing where it took a very well-worn format, like the prestige crime drama. Like we know what that looks like. We've seen it like done in a million different ways. Um, and it sort of Trojan horsed in some themes that I think we often don't associate with these shows about motherhood and parenting and relationships between women and trauma and like how you emerge from grief. And I think that's the part of it that like really worked, worked for me. That was the that was the part that captivated me, but I think one of the big issues I had with the show was not knowing from, I, I'm not sure exactly if I did figure out at any point that it wasn't trying to be a whodunit. Like if you approach mm-hmm. to the show going like, this is a whodunit, then so much of it makes no sense. Like why is Guy Pierce constantly showing up? Like why are these three teens like running around, like seeming so sneaky? I never quite figured that out. Why did they name the two uh, young children with names that started with D? Uh, both of them started with D, which I found very confusing. These kind of like parallel narratives of young children needing to be taken in by older people. Um, yeah. So just wondering about um, whether it was more trying to be a prestige drama or more trying to be a prestige who done it was very confusing to me for a long time. And I think, and this has been um, coming up in the press uh, interviews with the cast that they really wanted to be both. And I yeah. think they felt that they really nailed combining those two things, wrapping them up together. But that kind of brings me to, I think, my fundamental critique of the show, which is that it's too much stuff. Um, I think I tweeted last week that it was like <laughs> 10 pounds of plot in a five pound bag. I think maybe that overestimates the size of the bag. There's so much plot that sometimes you know, you bring up the the three kids running around and Guy Pierce. I almost forgot that they were in the show. And because you give the viewers so many red herrings and so many subplots, 
they almost edit out for you all of the stuff that doesn't fit into their conception of the show. And they forget how much time you spent on stuff that was completely superfluous. But I do think that's kind of a problem. Like, I don't think that you should have 57 subplots that are fundamentally superfluous to the show yeah I was sort of um, and then you end like, up with these plot holes that don't really yeah like why so I guess we figure out at the end that Dylan um Dylan's motivation for running around burning journals and threatening people is that he wants his parents to never find out who the real like father of the boy he believed was his son, um, his baby. He doesn't want his parents to lose costume. So he's like going around like beating, Very beating up young women <laughs> in order to prevent, like the, the motivations don't always like hold together to me because when they appear as a red herring, it seems like there might be a plausible explanation. And then by the time the real explanation comes out, I've basically forgotten that that plot line happened. When you look back and retcon the actual motivation a little bit it's pretty thin like it doesn't yeah. make much sense to me no I, but you I know what piece that. of art <laughs> I think there were <laughs> the like a, just too counting. many sorry just too many characters like it, I was like the show could have used like could have used an editor like a like a I don't know like a story editor in the sense of like the way that writers have editors who are just like this whole point you made like isn't really necessary to your thesis. And right. that's, that's sort of what um, I felt like it was a lot. And I think especially like this was seven episodes and most miniseries run like eight to 10, honestly, like this is even like on the shorter end for one of these like prestige crime um, miniseries. And so I wonder if some of it if they either needed to sort of like expand it to another episode or two, or just kind of cut down on um, all of the side plots and red herrings. And I, I think that there is this sort of inherently tough thing that audiences want from these prestige whodunits, which is that, and I've seen both of these desires sort of like echoed on Twitter. Like you want uh, the answer to who did the crime to be like satisfying in a way that is surprising, but also not so surprising that it like doesn't make sense. And I think it's very hard to hit both of those things at the same time. Mm. So my two thoughts were one other piece of quote unquote art that fit 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag. It's the first season of the OC. Do you remember this? Oh yes. Like, I've gosh. had like, <laughs> Esme, I've been rewatching the first season of the OC like right now. And yeah. Claire has actually never seen it. I've never seen they, it. They put like seven seasons worth of plot into one season of <laughs> 18 do. soap opera. And then the other thing that I wanted to say about these kind of prestige, actually, this one was also on HBO. Um, prestige uh, where you're trying to satisfy those two needs that you were saying, Emma, was the undoing, which I thought was mm -hmm. really classy in that in the end, it turned out to be who you thought it was. All but people along. were so mm -hmm. angry about that. That's exactly the, that's the exact show that I was thinking about. I and enjoyed it too. And I don't necessarily mind when it's just like, you're like, yeah, that that's the guy that, that did it. And that makes yeah. sense. But people were very 
upset about it. Like, why did I invest myself in this narrative? If it's if just I gonna wasn't be going a, to be surprised. Yeah. If it wasn't going to be. No, a surprise. we were fooled. I thought that the great part of that show, and I know this podcast is not about the undoing, so I'm not going <laughs> to spend much time about this, but I, I liked it because it made you think that all of these wacky people were actually the criminal when in the end it was just who it obviously was all along. And that was where the surprise lay. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's where. I yeah, that's did a good job. The OC I've never seen, but I'm always kind of shocked when I look back to realize like how early in the show, like Marissa died. Is that Marissa? Um, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you just get the sense you're like, oh my God, they must've run through so much plot so quickly to get to that. But it is kind of a soapy thing. And this is something that uh, Greg and I were always saying when we were watching Mare is like, this is a prestige show with a lot of prestige elements, performances, like cinematography, but like fundamentally it's pulpy and mm-hmm. it is doing the things to keep you invested that a really soapy TV show would do of like throwing new like twists at you constantly, even if they're not really going to make sense when you pull the whole thing together at the end. And that started to sort of annoy me a little bit. I was like, I don't need another, I don't need like a priest who (laughs) has an inappropriate relationship with the girl, but then it turns out that it was totally innocently inappropriate. Like he didn't kill her, but it was, you know what I mean? Like there's just always something and maybe we should like quickly like run through the premise of the show. Although I don't know why you would be listening if you didn't watch it go watch it we're spoiling it all over the place in here but it stars Kate Winslet as this sort of grizzled uh detective uh who lives in East Town Pennsylvania uh and her community is very tight-knit she knows everyone but kind of down its luck there's a lot of opioid addiction um and Mayor's family specifically um she lost her son first to addiction and then to suicide Um, She has a grandson who um, whose mother, uh, because of her addiction, has not been able to care for him. So he lives with Marin and her family. Um, And meanwhile, she's trying to solve all these murders and disappearances of young women who are in sort of their late teens to early 20s. Um, And so, you know, she ends up working with an out of town hotshot detective who solved a cold case. She ends up meeting a novelist who's in residence at a local university that's the guy and having a romance that's guy pierce um yeah and then she you know there are a lot just innumerable side characters and um including her daughter siobhan who is sort of this edgy uh lesbian high school student who's also making a documentary about her brother um and And her best so many plots her best friend Lori. Who is and her best very central, played by the fantastic Julianne Nicholson. Um, and yeah, I, I'd say like there are so many characters, but fundamentally, um, the show ultimately ends up focusing most on like those two families, right? Mare's family and Lori's family, and the ways yeah. that they are like tragically um in, ensnared with each other and and involved in the murder of a young woman named Aaron. Um, And ultimately, spoiler alert, it turns out that Lori's husband had a very fucked up and illegal sexual relationship with Aaron, who is also his young cousin. Uh, And 
ended up getting her pregnant and that he and Lori's son, Ryan, found out about this, was sort of like suffering under the weight of his father's sins and the impact of that. And Ryan, it was revealed in the final episode, um, accidentally killed Aaron when he stole a gun and tried to kind of scare her off from being involved with his father. And ultimately they struggled, the gun went off and he killed her. And so ultimately what we see is Mare, this grizzled lady detective, having to be the one to um, essentially rip apart her best friend's family. And I think that is part of the emotional core of the show. I think that emotional core and the way you just described that makes so much more sense if you stop thinking about the fact that there were also these two young women kept in uh, a basement or something of like a tavern by this other guy who was completely unrelated to Lori's family and they catch him and then the handsome Colin Zabel guy gets killed and like that is a whole it's like to me the show had like a before and after it was the mm-hmm. before she finds these kidnapped girls and then after she finds these kidnapped girls and to me that could have been two seasons of a show I actually completely yeah. agree and I think that yeah they try to tie these things together I think in as much as the the first solve um, forces Mare further down the path of her like of grappling with the trauma of her son, but it was this these two big mysteries that in the end did not end up really being connected outside of the fact that they both impacted Mare, and that mm-hmm. um, I think did if not fully muddy, like confuse the waters. I think there's an appeal to saying like, sometimes you think that crimes are connected and that would be a satisfying resolve, but they aren't. They're just two different things. However, it is very weird to me that there is this massive bananas, like would be on the front pages of national news for weeks, news (laughs) story that disappears almost as soon as it happens in the world of the show. That to me is a sign that you have too much plot for what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And you haven't made room for that in your story. Like it's crazy that they not only find out that these two girls have been held captive, one of them for like a year, um, but then Mare's partner dies in a shootout with the kidnapper. And then it's ne- basically almost never heard about again, except for a brief conversation with her therapist. Like, and- who is this guy who kidnapped them? Like, Potts is his name. But, like, very menacing. That's all we know. Like, yeah. He just Extremely pops up menacing. to be, like, an evil guy who had kidnapped these girls. And that's it. Like, there's no exploration of it. Um, it's... Uh, that that drove me kind of crazy. I like I understand wanting to explore the different ways that these investigations can unfold and that these crimes can unravel, but there was there was the the show wasn't built for this degree of mm-hmm. trauma to be packed yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about some of the themes in the show outside of just like the structure and the structural flaws, which I think that we've sort of like enumerated and they definitely I are there. Have so many. Comments I'm sure you it. do. <laughs> um, 
But like, one do of- you do you want to talk about the twist at the end sure, or at the beginning? Sure. We can talk about it. I guess we can talk about it up here. Um, because because I really want to know whether you two found the reveal, the twist ending with Ryan, who is basically like twelve or thirteen. He's thirteen. He's thirteen. He when he is revealed to be the killer. How did that, how did you both take that on board? Did that, did, did that strike you as like a satisfying way for the crime to be solved? I thought that it was interesting in so much as, okay. So after I had seen the sixth episode, I very much was kind of caught up in the typical mystery, like what was in the photo um, that, you know, supposedly reveals any, everything. Was it Billy or was it John? And then when it turned out to be neither and it was Ryan, um, First, I was a little annoyed because I, you know, it, it seems like one of those, oh, we point to the least likely person. But once I started thinking a little bit more about the themes of the show and these things that kept happening to all of these different families, it did seem to be very much about kind of like the sins of the father, like that this mm-hmm. kind of intergenerational trauma, because you have like the Freddie story, which we haven't really touched on. Um, we have um, the story of... Uh, you know, these, these older, older generations who are trying to take care of these younger generations of kids because their parents are not capable of doing it. We have all of these traumas that are related to, yeah, parents and kids. And so in that way, it felt satisfying to me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's the part of it that worked for me too. Um, Mm -hmm. I was pretty convinced that it was John I was like, that's the Mm -hmm. twist. And I was like, it's fine that it's like obvious. And I would have been fine had it ultimately been him who ultimately murdered Aaron. It still felt to me like the blame at the center of it all was John. Mm -hmm. Like the reason that this happened was because John had committed some really fucked up crimes and had groomed his vulnerable cousin and had then placed like an unreal burden on his young child to carry that secret and feel that like the weight of keeping his family together, a family unit that he had seen fractured earlier, you know, before the show started, we learned that John had had um, a brief affair with another woman and that Lori had previously left him and that that really impacted their two children. And it seems like Ryan feels a real responsibility to like Mm -hmm. hold all of that weight. And that was the ultimate tragedy of it to me is that like the completely irresponsible and criminal behavior of his father and the fact that his father had sort of looked to him as like, buddy, you're my peer. You can hold this secret. Like we see at one point early where he's talking to Ryan saying like, it's just, this is just a secret between the two of us. Um, and I guess at that point, maybe they, they are talking about the murder, which we, we learned that Ryan tells his father about and ultimately John covers it up. But I think that that sort of relationship, um, signaling made me feel like this is a kid who's been, who's a child who's been like told by his father that like, you're the man of the house. You can hold all of this weight and like it's Similarly, your responsibility. 
Mare is very angry with her mother um, for mm-hmm. having had an affair right throughout the show. And there's that kind of, I actually didn't think Mare was angry with her mom at all. Oh, really? Right? Like they find out that she had the affair and Mare laughs for like half an hour. Right. <laughs> I like, think she was mad at her mother because her mother was very angry in general during her yeah. childhood. Like that's the sense. Yeah. I no, there's got, definitely that, a huge like, tension between them. Yeah. That they like love each other, but that she was like kind of an absent, you know, crappy and amazing in some ways, but crappy in some ways, mother, mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. to the way that like ultimately Mare both shows up for and fails her, her own children. Um, yeah. Someone yeah. says like, you were a good mother, meaning well. And then she says very, you know, kind of straightforwardly. No, I wasn't. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, a lot of the, the, the question of the grandparents having to take care of, of the babies, their children's babies comes back to, well, did they fail their kids in such a way that their kids are not able to take care of their own children. Um, and that's definitely explored through Mare. Um, and, and with, with John and the burden he places on Ryan, I think we also see the huge burden he places on Aaron mm-hmm. and Dylan, Aaron's boyfriend at the time of the affair, who yeah. thinks that he is DJ's father. Um, and DJ has a health issue. He has, um, an ear problem that requires surgery that for some reason requires like exactly $5,000. Um, and I don't think that Medicaid exists. Um, but no one will give Aaron the money and Aaron can't earn it quickly enough herself, including John, an adult <laughs> with like a house <laughs> can't like, and this becomes kind of the catalyst for Aaron's murder that she becomes insistent that he needs to provide for his son who is ill and he's avoiding her. He's foisting that burden off on, on other people who are too young um, and who have been exploited um, to, that they should need to deal with it. Um, but I did like personally feel that the Ryan reveal was not super convincing. And like, to me, it came down to like, it makes sense for the themes of the show, but did they go with something that didn't really work plot wise and motivation wise because it fulfilled those themes? And that was sort of how it felt to me that there was, that there was, um, more attention paid to like the resonance of that than to what it would actually mean for this 13 year old to steal a gun from someone in the middle of the night and go or into the middle the of nowhere yeah. in a park in order to like threaten his cousin with a gun. Um, that struck me as highly implausible uh, for a child to do in a way that was difficult for me to like take on board. Um, but I'm sure that the the appeal of that resonance was just really strong. And plus it it's a twist um, and they love their twists. You know, the, the twist too, where you see the photo that makes the chief of police kind of taken aback when they actually show it. And it's a picture of Aaron literally in bed with John. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is so blunt. Like, it's just very 
heavy handed to me to have that reveal. I almost laughed. I was like, this is absurd. I had a similar sort of reaction when you find out that Katie Price has been being held captive. Katie um, Bailey. No, Katie Bailey. Uh, I'm not even sure where I got that name um, <laughs> for, for a whole year where you're just like, oh, here we go. Like, it just feels like a pulpy sort of plot point that doesn't really cohere with like this very realistic world that I feel like most of the show is trying to enter you into. What what I actually thought had happened when Ryan runs from his junior high home and is like holding his mom and, and starts crying and says like, Mira is coming, Mira knows. Mm-hmm. What I actually thought happened was that Lori had done it and that Ryan had gotten the gun and given it to her. And that actually would have been more satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think thematically it um, wouldn't have uh, lined up quite as much. And just one thing I wanted to bring up really quickly is that sex work is also a thing that comes up uh, a few times in this uh, narrative or in this show as something that the people of this town who are largely very desperate people are, um, uh, are turning to, to try and make money. Yeah. And to the point that it doesn't seem like there's any evidence that Aaron has engaged in sex work, but the two other girls who have disappeared have, like they have known um, reputations, yeah. they have accounts on these websites. And Mayor He's- kind of says, well, just because we don't have any evidence that Aaron was doing sex work doesn't mean that she wasn't. Like she seems No, pretty- I thought that she had, she had an account on the yeah, yeah no account. this yeah. is earlier in that when oh. they haven't found the account i'm describing the conversation that mayor has with the other detective saying well just because she isn't known to other sex workers in the area just because we don't have an account of hers doesn't mean that she wasn't doing sex work she's very determined to find that um to create a reason that aaron would have been made vulnerable to violence in the same way that these other two women presumably were at this point not neither of those cases have been solved they do find that aaron has an account but then it turns out she's never really used it and it's not relevant to her crime being solved um but there is this idea that sex work is or in aaron's case like another form of like being you know sexually engaged with with a man is what makes these young women vulnerable to murder and kidnap I don't know what else to say about that (laughs) I don't know either I think a theme that I would love to talk about is how people have this love-hate relationship with Easttown throughout the show um for so much of the begin for so many of the beginning episodes there's this real feeling of like, oh, why are we here? Like, it's miserable. We have this terrible addiction problem, et cetera. But I kind of feel like there's almost a progression as the episodes go on. Um, when uh, when somebody says to Deacon Mark uh, toward the end, you know, uh, of course you're going to leave. You're going to go somewhere else. He says, I don't have anywhere to go, detective. Easttown is my home. And there's also another scene later. Um, is it Shaban who says to... Uh, mayor like you love it here like you act like you don't but you love it here which I thought was really interesting well East Town is is their home there's something interesting about that with the church though because and I was raised Catholic a couple weird things one is that deacon Mark is a priest and a deacon is a specific thing in the Catholic church it is not the same thing as a priest it's like a trainee um and it's 
it's a little odd to me that he's treated kind of essentially the same as priests, but that's a side note. The other is that priests typically are moved around parishes and they're moved by the church hierarchy. Um, and that partly dates back way into the history's past as kind of like a, of the church, you know, a way to prevent them from consolidating wealth and to keep that funneled back toward the, the church and, and Rome. But um, so the idea that you would have these priests with very deep roots in the community was a little surprising to me. I don't know if that that is common some places, certainly where I grew up, the priests were always being cycled in and out and you couldn't rely that they would be there next year. Um, but they're very much part like even one of the priests is Mary's cousin, I think. Yes. They all know each other very well. Um, there's there's not much of a world outside of East Town unless it's Berkeley and yes. you're Shaban and you've just emailed a professor there and now you're going to Berkeley. That's how that it just, works. Okay, that's how it Claire, works. That's how it works. <laughs> um, but I do feel like, yeah, there it was definitely very heavy handed symbolism, but this idea of this town as like all encompassing and cloistered and it's not totally unrealistic that people might like grow up in a town and stay there and be entrenched in it and feel almost stuck there. And you could tell that Siobhan leaving was a big deal precisely because most people don't get the opportunity to, to leave this place. And like, it almost felt like to me, her leaving was a signal that she was going to be the the generation to kind of break the cycle of trauma in, in her family um, that she got to got the gift of sort of like escaping from. Yeah. She almost doesn't want have... to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has this DJ, this DJ girlfriend um, and the DJ girlfriend. Cool. Actually, yeah. And... <laughs> she seemed very cool. She was very yeah. beautiful and cool. Yeah. Um, and she tells her like, I don't think you should stay, especially not for me. And then when Siobhan eventually asks Mare what, you know, what she should do. Mare um, initially doesn't really answer. And Siobhan is just like, be a mom. Come on, just give me some mom advice. And that's when Mare says, I think you should go. Yeah. Yeah. Th- there is this tension though, between the fact that Easttown doesn't offer the kind of opportunities that Berkeley might to, to Siobhan, that um, there is a huge problem of like poverty and uh, addiction. And um, there's just a sort of hopelessness to this fictional community um, that they want to escape. The family dynamics are, are often very fraught. Um, but at the same time, you know, leaving behind all the trauma is also leaving behind your family and the people Mm -hmm. you love. And what Mare seems to find is, you know, the, the, the path toward leaving behind trauma, not through skipping town and not through disinvesting from her community, but through trying to sort of process and continue building those relationships and healing them. Um, And there's something to be said for that because I do think there's a huge narrative in American culture that like the way to succeed is to leave where you're from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I certainly can't, I mean, 
my, my dad similarly was like, I think you should leave for college. Like, I don't think there's the kind of opportunities here for, for you that you would want in your life. And I want you to go somewhere else. And I did. Um, but what kind of, what kind of hearing are we giving to the idea of growth through sticking with your roots and, and building there? I think the fact that we saw Siobhan leave felt realistic to me. I was like, this is a kid that like would leave, like whether or not it's like the right or wrong message, like that felt true to her character. And I think on the other side of it, things we saw, you know, the Katie Bailey character kind of stick it out, reinvest in the community, begin to like be reunited with her child and have her own home and kind of start like Mm -hmm. a new generation in East town. And so we sort of saw both paths. Like they're, I think meant to be like the same generation. Katie's maybe a couple years older than Siobhan. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about motherhood and the, like how potent motherhood feels to this series. Like obviously with Mare and her mother and her daughter and son, um, but also with you know, Carrie, um, her grandson's mother and her grandson drew with Dawn, who has not given up for searching, um, for her daughter, Katie with Lori and her two children. Like there is just, it feels like motherhood kind of permeates everything and parenthood in general is very potent. Like you see a lot of fathers, some good like Mare's ex-husband and some obviously terrible like John Ross, but it really and mostly feels, just Mare's ex-husband. Yeah. Mostly just Mare's ex-husband. Bad. But for the most part, like mothers uh, and, and just the women of the town are kind of the ones who keep shit rolling. And the mm-hmm. men are often at the center of these dramas and traumas. And yet it's ultimately the women who kind of like keep the trains leaving the station Um, Mm -hmm. And I found that to be really interesting and potent. And also the fact that like, ultimately it was motherhood and their desires to protect their children Mm -hmm. that is where Mare and her best friend, Lori, ultimately like come to a crossroads. Like we see these women really in sync for so much of the series And then Lori lies to Mare to protect her son, which felt like, frankly, very realistic. Like who, who wouldn't be like, let John rot in hell and like, leave my child alone. (laughs) Mothers are the ones who like feel the feelings. It seems like, like one note I made was Mare get gets yelled at by moms a lot because mm-hmm. she does get yelled at by moms a lot. Um, isn't it Dawn who yells at her earlier yep. because, or, um, and then uh, Zabel's mom Zabel's yells mom. at her Ooh. when she goes to say, I'm sorry about, you know, he was a good detective and the mom is just like, fuck you, like get out of here. Then Lori uh, yells at her. Why couldn't you leave it alone? You have John it's Ryan, my Ryan, my whole family is gone now because of you. Like she just gets yelled at by these moms who seem to be the ones processing the emotions of the town, like some kind of filtration system for all mm. the toxicity. Sorry. Right. That was and really and bad. She, no, no, I know. I love that. That's so true. I mean, she ends up at the center of, 
of sort of, um, if not creating like ultimately like unintentionally facilitating some of these like separations, Mm. um, between mothers and children, despite the fact that her ultimate motivation in the show as shown is to sort of fill the void, um, that was left by her feeling that she failed her son, Kevin and her guilt over the fact that she sent Siobhan to go check on him. And that led to Siobhan, um, finding his body after he had died and not like her not being the one to show up for that trauma. Um, and it's, that's sort of like the, the tragedy, the sticky tragedy of it is that Mm. in her effort to fill that void and to not deal with that grief, she is using her detective work in this way that ultimately inadvertently separates other mothers from their children and brings them some of them back together like Don and Katie well, that's the thing like I feel like this is a big theme of the show and it comes up in therapy a lot is like you're you're not coping with your grief you're doing your detective work instead and it's like okay so now that she's healing from her grief is she going to stop doing detective work like it's her <laughs> job like and and if you're the the mother with a missing daughter like what are you going to be like? Oh, I hope you find peace from your son's passing so that you can stop poking around in these mysteries. You're like, no, find my child. Find my job. Yeah, of course. And so I do think there's a way in which we talk about these like detective shows where it's like, oh, she's like doing the detective work to like distance herself from her pain. And also like fundamentally, even once she comes to grips with her pain, she is still going to have to do those things. So I almost don't even understand that distinction. But the way that she uh, solves the the last mystery is kind of what is helping her own pain in a way. And Emma and I were talking about this a little bit um, in terms of helping, you know, pin the blame on Ryan is I think her way of making sure Ryan doesn't become a self-destructive person, a self-destructive mess like her son, Kevin was. And so even though it seems like, I mean, forget about the whole, you know, I mean, not just the fact that he, he goes to juvie or, you know, some kind of juvenile detention center and all of that. And whether or not that's rehabilitative, um, that's a separate conversation, I think. But I think what she is able to do is to prevent Ryan from suffering even more than he already is. I mean, he's getting into fights at school. You know, he breaks down in front of his own mother because his mother thinks it's because he caught his dad cheating, but that's not actually why Um, he's really suffering. And so I feel, I felt like that to me was kind of a redemptive moment of Mare using her detective work to kind of right the wrongs that it, that had happened in her own life. That's so interesting. I have to admit, I really didn't think of it that way at all, but I was like, I was also really struck by what this all the unfolding said about that incident in the cafeteria, because what happens is that Ryan sees his sister Moira being bullied. She has Down syndrome and seems to have a mostly normal school and social life, but we learn that's not true in a way because we see her being mocked by these other kids in the cafeteria. Ryan sees he gets up and attacks one of the bullies with his tray. And immediately this is turned into like, what could have caused him to do this? And we learn that there was a deeper thing that caused him to do this. But part of me is like, isn't it enough that he saw his sister who is disabled? Like, 
I mean, being I, treated I, that way. I think and yes. the show kind of immediately comes up with another explanation for that. And that's just a pretext. I think personally, that would be more than enough for a kid to, to hit another kid. In the no, cafeteria. I think that the actual incident is, I agree, like could easily be explained by just you see your sister being bullied and that's like very upsetting. But I think that what we saw and what that like credit to that young actor, I think is like the the viciousness with which his response sort of like took a turn midway. Like he sort of says like, leave my sister alone and like comes at the kid and then like keeps going and is like crying, like beating the shit out of this kid with a tray. And I think like, that's where that's the Mm -hmm. indication to me that says like, there is a self-destructive tendency. There is like a, a pain. And I think that there is a truth that like, certain things can only heal when they're in the light. And like, part of that is, is taking responsibility for like harm that you've caused other people. And Ryan found himself in the center of this thing that turned extremely tragic. But I, I think that it would really like have do lasting damage to a person to know that they had inadvert like accidentally killed someone and like never be able to talk about it and mm-hmm. never be able to have that in the light and never be able to like process that in a real way or try to apologize and to have your or dad to, like, make- go to jail yeah and just like of- yeah yeah right like I I don't know and and I that's why I kind of find that um framing to be compelling in the in the emotional sense I mm-hmm. I think like of course, that's complicated by the fact that like, yeah, our justice system isn't exactly rehabilitative and like juvenile facilities are not exactly like great places for healing. Um, well, also, but I we're think assuming he's going to be in a juvenile facility, but he did kill someone with a gun that he took there to meet her. So he would probably be tried as an adult, like based on the way that the American judicial system works. And he, his whole life was probably going to be ruined. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, that is in a way a separate conversation, right? Because we don't see any of that happen. We don't know what's going to happen. But I, I do think that the, the motherhood question um, hits on this point, which is that mothers are like, very frequently engaged in very emotional ways on both sides of that, uh, on the victim's right side and on the prison abolition side, because it's their babies um, Mm -hmm. that that the people they Mm -hmm. feel responsible for who sometimes are no longer there or their rights have been severely restricted and are not able to well advocate for themselves. And we see that through Lori and we see it through um, Dawn who um, her daughter has been missing for a year. She's coming to uh, harass Mayor uh, at public press conferences and say, where's my daughter? Why haven't you found her? Um, it is often the work of women with children to, to advocate for them, to advocate and to surface the pain that's caused by both like violence and by the violent response of the state. Yeah, I mean, think about all of these organizations like Mothers Against Drunk Driving or, you know, Mm -hmm. mothers who get together against gun violence. Um, I did a lot of research about um, about uh, mental health issues and kind of that kind of incarceration. And often it's mothers who are behind behind those movements. I think when, you know, as a mother, obviously you are tasked with the well-being of this human and um, obviously 
fathers should be as well. But as we've often seen in our culture, it's like mothers are often kind of the last line of defense and the ones ultimately held responsible. And I think that I would imagine that if you see something happen to your child or you see your child commit a wrong and then like have to deal with a fundamentally unjust system, that would be really, really radicalizing. And, and, you know, I'm not saying it's always radicalizing in a way that like bends towards ultimate justice, but I can see how it would be an overwhelming driving force in the way you conduct yourself moving forward, like for better or worse. And I think that that's sort of what we see playing out in the show. Um, Another thing that I wanted to talk about is specifically Mare and Lori's relationship. Um, Because I think that relationship is really central throughout the series, but especially in the finale, like Lori is the only character other than Mare that we see in the, in the final minutes. Like we almost get like two really intensely gut punching, um, emotionally resonant scenes right at the end of the finale. And one of them is between these two women. What did you guys think of this friendship? The friendship is so such an important thread throughout. And I agree that I think, well, I personally think that that last moment, it it's a wordless, a basically wordless scene where, you know, there's tea being made and then they just, Lori just kind of collapses and is wailing and sobbing in Mare's arms after saying she never wants to see her again. But I think all of that at the ending was made so much more poignant by the fact that Lori is there for Mare throughout mm-hmm the series um I think she even says in one episode something about how like I'm here you know like I I I am here for you um and so that friendship I think was built up for me in this very poignant way that feels like such a betrayal when um when Mayor pins it on Ryan or figures out it was Ryan yeah and there's it's made pretty clear that Mare's pushing everyone else away. Like her marriage fell apart sort of in the aftermath of their son's addiction. And um, she kind of famously in the area was the star of this basketball, high school basketball team at the early in the season, we see them having like a 25th anniversary ceremony for the state championship that they won and Mare scored the winning shot. And you can see that she's on bad terms with the other, almost everyone, (laughs) um, including Dawn, who uh, thinks she should be doing a better job finding Katie. Um, And Mare is always squabbling with her mom, her daughter, um, and the one relationship that is stable is Laura and she'll say like, don't give, you know, are you going to give up on me too? And Laura will be like, no, I would never. Um, and, and so of course it had to be Laura who would be pushed to consider giving up on her. And in the end, it has to be Mare not giving up on Laura instead. And I think that that's why I sort of like when the the twist came like right at the beginning of the final episode um once it wraps up super quickly with john and you're like oh there's got to be something else coming i was like it has to be whatever the thing is it has to be the thing that would put mare in the position to fuck up Lori's life the most because that's where the (laughs) 
emotional gut punch lies. Like, sure, Mare has these two ancillary brief love interests throughout the series series. But to me, like the love story that was the most potent was between these two women. And um, as may you said that that earlier in the season, Laura says to, to Mare, like, I'm here. And then in that final collapse, there's sort of a callback where Mare, the only words that are spoken is that Mare whispers to her, like, I'm here. And she kisses her forehead. And it was just like, so fucking beautiful to me in this this way of these like two women who have been through like unimaginable unthinkable trauma sort of beginning to find their way back to each other and I think it's like this is what hits my soft spots this is what sort of made me like love the finale was the centering of this relationship um and it reminds me of how much you love that <laughs> bachelor in paradise moment where yes. um, <laughs> carly yes. and jade when carly and jade, carly runs carly runs into jade's arms <laughs> i just love a, a platonic love story between two women and i think that like for me in my life like relationships with other women have sort of been like the the center of my world certainly in in adulthood, especially being like single for years, like the people that were there to sort of catch me were other women. And so I thought that this, Mm. um, that was like a really beautiful portrayal of that. And also you just have like Kate Winslet and Julianne Nicholson who are like, regardless of how overwrought the plot was in this show, they are two extremely talented actresses. Um, and I think that they played it really, really well. Yeah. There's something, this is going to seem like a huge stretch, but bear with me here. (laughs) There's something about that moment with Lore in Mara's arms that really reminds me of like the Pieta and like the, the, the maternalness of that, of like cradling someone um, who is unable to like support themselves. Um, And there is that kind of relationship between the female friends in this show that they, they offer that that maternal like care to each other when it's needed because they're all going through so much shit. We also yeah. see like the friendship between Don and Beth, uh, yeah. uh, Freddie's mm-hmm. sister. Um, and Beth is sort of his stable sister. She has a family and she takes him in, even though he's like really struggling with addiction, he's stealing from them. He mm-hmm. ends up sort of trying to, um, get money out of Dawn by pretending that he is the person who kidnapped her daughter. Um, So Bethy, Beth is having this really hard time. She and Dawn kind of lean on each other and provide that support that you don't see from male partners or from parental figures. Um, But I think it's really interesting as a mom to see that moment between Mare and Lore, because if I, if someone like did that to my son, I don't think I could ever talk to them again. Mm. And so it is, I had mixed feelings about them coming back to each other at the end, um, that Laura's son is so young and vulnerable and is going into a system that probably will not at all help him, that will probably be worse for him than trying to cope with this, you know, without entering the system, without it ever coming to light. And that happened because of Mare. Um <laughs> someone that Laura trusted very much and who she knows loves her kids. I don't think I could ever, I don't think I could ever talk to her again. I don't think I could get past that. And so 
suddenly Ryan is off in an institution somewhere because of Mare and it's Mare and Laura who are having this almost mother and child-like moment. I felt a little bit conflicted about it. And yet it is a very, very powerful moment. I mean, I, I definitely want to, to see the ground to you here because you are the, the mom in the three of us. Yes. And so, you know, I, I really, I, that makes all the sense in the world to me. And I think that theme of I would do absolutely anything for my kids is one that reappears quite often and actually even quite often in murder mysteries. I have read Mm -hmm. so many murder mysteries where a parent, um, um, not even mothers necessarily only, um, but a parent will just like throw themselves ahead, you know, on top of their kid. Um, and take the blame for whatever crime just because uh, they do not want to see their child suffer. Suffer. Yeah, I think per- that that is absolutely a standby of the genre. And actually, I kept thinking, although it's different in how it plays out, I kept thinking of Broadchurch. Um, mm-hmm. The first yeah. season, I think, also has this element of like what the matriarchs must do to protect their children and shield mm-hmm. them. And you know, it's, it's the, like the most powerful feeling. It's very easy to turn that into drama, I think. Um, and hopefully my son will never murder anyone. I, I feel, small. I feel good about him. I think he's, <laughs> yeah. Um, Fingers crossed. I don't know. I've seen some very vicious videos of him uh, knocking over block towers. So, you know, yeah. I guess we'll just have There's to keep our eyes there. on him. There's a darkness. <laughs> um <laughs> But I think it it really like I putting aside the 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 maternal thing, it absolutely speaks to like the absence of men as partners in this um, yeah. series that like none of them are really, you know, we see Beth is mostly thinking of her husband in terms of someone who will leave if she doesn't get her brother to stop being like an ongoing threat to their their home. And uh, you know, Mare and her ex don't really have a good relationship. Um, Aaron's father basically just shows up to like verbally abuse her. Yeah, Kenny, right? Kenny. Yeah, he's just a real piece of shit. His grief just manifests as him being like, well, time to go shoot someone. Like he's not like an effective father. Um, But none of the women really have like a partner who is a partner. They have men who they are trying to convince to stay if and they... also to like keep under control it's like Lori's trying right. to be like well I love John so if I maneuver in xyz ways then he'll behave and we can just like all keep together right they're not a resource like John is not no, a resource to Lori certainly not. um and that's the case with pretty much all of all of the men but the other women are resources they're yeah. people that they can rely on what and is that's, Frank all about there? Like, why? Why is Frank? What is Frank's role in this he's, role? He's the one good. Man. He's the only good man. And he's like, he's like, I take care of my children. I show he's up. He's the hashtag not I, all men. Yeah. Remember when there's this implication that Frank is the father of Aaron's baby, and then that just immediately is debunked, and it's like, oh, we just threw that out there to shake things up, and that because he seemed too great and perfect. They're like, no, um, he actually is just he, he very is. nice he, and a very good partner to his new fiance. And ultimately, like, 
he and Mare are going to be friends and he's, yeah, he's the only good one. He like shows up for Siobhan uh, and for, for Drew, but yeah, I mean, all I of the other men are down very to useless. really is that Mare is the, the male coded woman, right? Like mm. she has the, the role Roughness of the, of and... the taciturn, <laughs> emotionally uh, constipated detective. That is the classic male archetype. Uh, not that there aren't plenty of women who take that role now, but that's more of like a recent thing. And so it is still, I think, a very male coded position. And so Frank, her ex-partner has to represent the balance and that partnership of the person who like actually parents the kids and like makes a home that's pleasant to be in. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that that's really, really true. And I think that's why it can also be easily seen like her moving forward, not just letting John be the bad guy and, and continuing to search for the truth can be seen as that typically coded kind of gruff detective who is like, no, I will sacrifice everything, even, you know, this friendship with my friend. I mean, it can be read that way as well um, to find the real, you know, the real culprit. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I mean, I have to, I think that's how I read it really that like, it wasn't clear to me that it was done out of concern for Ryan or for Lore, but like, this is Mara's job and she's not going to pretend that she doesn't know who the real culprit is in order to protect anyone. Um, I do see her very much that way. So it's been interesting to hear some alternate readings on I think I sort of sort of read it as like a combination of both of those things Mm -hmm. like that she can't help herself to an extent like you said Clara like once she saw the video it's like that knowledge is with her and so like she has to do the thing that her job has taught her to do which is to like move forward and actually solve this case and on the other hand I do think that there was an element of like needing to bring this into the light um, for the sake of, for the, in part for the sake of, of Ryan. Again, I take Mm -hmm. issue with it when you talk about like him going into the system, but again, like emotionally um, that, that did also resonate with me. They do try to soften the whole, like he's in this facility thing, or at least I saw it that way when they ask him what he's doing, what he, what he has been doing since he's been there. And he's like, I've been, I've been taking this writing class. Yeah. The implication was, was not that he was tried as an adult. Cause I think we did like the right. end does take place. The like, implication is that after. that's not what happened, but I'm like, okay, but like, what would actually, anyway, that's yeah, no, 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 I, I, I agree. I agree uh, with that. That was like, I definitely had that thought too, where I was like, uh, this is not this, but, one. Like, but on a thematic level, I guess it, I, that worked for me. I was just thinking again about the Mare and Lore pair and the Dawn and Beth pair because Dawn and Beth are also put in the situation where one of them knows that their friends sort of semi-dependent and in their case loved one has done something unforgivable because Dawn like ends up being the victim of Freddie's like sort of desperate scheme to get drug money mm-hmm. and kind of handles it differently. Um, mm-hmm. Pretends that she doesn't, she, that she fell basically. She, she gets injured in this incident and sort of brushes it under the rug. 
Um, and so I do think in the end, we, we, like we see in those two relationships, like sort of different ways of handling the ways that women end up dealing with the crimes of each other's yeah. loved ones it's and whether the better way is to bring it to the light or to, or to not, or to, to hold on to it sort yeah. of for the sake of another person. Yeah. And I don't know if there's really a, a right answer. They're both sort of shitty because we exist in a culture that encourages these behaviors and makes these behaviors possible. And then like repunishes people who in, enact them in the, those ways. Um, yeah. but it's interesting because we also see Mare display a real softness with Beth and with Freddie. Um, cause she's also pretty good friends with Beth. Beth seems like she's friends with everyone. And ultimately like going on this theme of female friendship, we see Mare, um, and Dawn kind of come back together and, and show a softness and a forgiveness, um, and a healing towards each other. And mm. I think that was like, mayor of east town's version of of a happy ending was like these women all sort of beginning to find paths towards forgiveness for each other including Lori. and maybe that does like stretch you know credulity um given it's also the know, topic of deacon know. mark's like last very yes. like yeah very heavy-handed yeah yeah which whatever i it was very heavy-handed but I, again like i'm just like a sucker for heavy-handed emotional shit i just had this moment where i was like <laughs> does everyone really really know each other because like you're just like here i am i just moved to east town i'm catholic here i am at my <laughs> new parish and i don't know this is like Claire, there's only Tweety four homily. families. There's four families in East Town plus <laughs> What's Betty Deacon Carol? Mark talking okay, about? It. And when is he that's ever it. going to become a priest? Um, yeah, there are only like four families, and they're all best friends. Uh, so yes, they all know each priests, other. One of whom and- is a deacon. <laughs> it's fine. It's normal. Um, um, before yes. we we wrap up, should we talk a little bit about the kind of inherent propaganda of shows like this? Like this has been obviously something that's been um, a conversation about all detective and cop centered crime shows, um, especially over the last year and a bit. And mm-hmm. I wanted to to talk about it here because it's definitely, there is just something inherent. Like if you are watching a show where the person that you are meant to, to connect with and to empathize with is in law enforcement um, and is, making mistakes uh within the confines of that job you are inherently led towards like empathy and forgiveness in a way that like perhaps is unearned given uh the very fucked up history and present of you know law enforcement agencies in this country do something incredibly awful like planting the planting drugs. Yes. That was mistake yeah. is like, I know that's not what you were saying, Emma, but I just want to be clear yeah. that we yeah. do not think oh. that planting heroin on yeah. someone to frame Sorry. them. No, no, no. I did not mistake. mean that's just like a little mistake. I more yeah. meant yeah, that, no, like, that, that like in the course of a, in the structure of a show where you're like, this person is flawed and they are like going to fuck up and then you're going to forgive them. Like that's sort of inherent to like any mm-hmm. of these shows where like, you're going to see the the main character do that. And in this case, it's like, well, she's a cop. So the stakes are incredibly high. And if you're like translating that into the real world, like 
it's far, my point was like, it is far beyond a simple mistake to do something like plant heroin on someone. Like that is a really horrific thing. She that, like, fell she probably, on the heroin, tumbled out of yeah, the evidence like, locker. Like she, and... should, she should never work again. Like if you do no, something like that, like that is like despicable, obviously. I guess my question, I mean, that's a really, the, the topic of propaganda is one I've been thinking a lot about because I read a lot of murder mysteries. So this comes up more mm-hmm. in like the things I read rather than the things I watch. But I do wonder about this show, is Mare the moral center of, mm. of this series? I think no. So who is the moral center? Or where, where would we locate it? I mean, I just... If I had to like pick one character, like I'd almost say like, Siobhan is more of a, a moral mm. center than than Mare. Uh, maybe Lori. Like I think that Mare is meant to be an inherently fucked up and not necessarily um, someone that you want to emulate type of character. That doesn't, for me, change the fact that we're still meant to like identify and empathize with her because she is she is the uh, narrative center yeah. of the show. But I do think, I mean, I think that we see in Siobhan sort of an innocent figure that like she's had trauma and for sure she's, she's seen horrible things. We've seen her behave well in difficult circumstances, but she is not caught up in the central thorny issue here. And mm-hmm. so what I, what I always feel like when I look back on this show is Mare is the person who is grappling with the hardest questions and she is the one who ultimately we see as succeeding more so than anyone else um and I think that that is like the conclusion like even to the point that you know Mare as we've mentioned steals heroin from an evidence locker to plant on her grandson's mother um it's shocking. I don't think that we're expected to think that that's okay. She gets suspended, but then we do sort of learn things that are meant to humanize this. I think like in flashbacks, we learn that, you know, when this woman, her, her late son's uh, partner and her son were on drugs, they attacked her violently and shouted at her and stole from her. Um, I think this is meant to make you feel like, well, of course, Mayor, felt afraid to let her grandson go to this woman's care. I think that it's effective in that way because that is how it made me feel. I think that later in the show, when Carrie, the the mom of of her grandson, comes to her and admits that she's back on drugs and she can't take her son, that is a vindication in a way of Mare's belief that Carrie is not going to be able to stay off drugs. And not that Carrie isn't humanized in her own way, but I do think that ultimately we see Mare as the one who is capable of being responsible the most, that she is like the one who is making these tough choices, doesn't always do the right thing, but like ultimately can you really blame her given the shitty choices that are in front of her? And I also was a little bit bothered before I give up the floor by the fact that Zabel dies and like this horrifying shootout Um that they both sort of enter almost if it's, as if it's a routine uh, interrogation or, or questioning of a new uh, person of interest. 
which to me also created this visceral sense of like to be a cop is incredibly dangerous and you could be murdered with a gun at any moment. And I do think that's another element of propaganda that is really profound in how shaping how most of us see like the risks that cops face and like how they have to react when they're out there policing. Those are my two things. And I think that second thing is is incredibly supported by the fact that they do manage to rescue these girls um, who who mm-hmm. are the victims of this evil Potts character that we don't really know anything about. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Mara isn't even supposed to be working the case, and she she rescues she rescues the girls when she's working when she shouldn't right. be. And I think that's sort of that is like the center of of propaganda um is sort of this perpetuating also this idea that like a major part of most law enforcement's day-to-day is this sort of like in the weeds brilliant detective work when we in fact know that the majority of murders that are solved um are solved because uh, it's incredibly obvious and the cops show up very quickly and there is like very clear evidence. Whereas like a a case that, you know, had been cold for a year is like very unlikely to be solved. Um, And that's sort of, again, like inherent when you have a show that centers on a big whodunit, like there, it has to be drawn out to an extent. It has to kind of follow these people like doing the like, brilliant puzzle putting together work of of solving that crime Mm -hmm. and um that's definitely something that I struggle with as someone who who really really enjoys mysteries in in books and also in tv shows like since I was a kid like I was obsessed with Encyclopedia Brown and Cam Jansen and like Mm -hmm. the the specifically like lady detective format is incredibly appealing to me And something that I was thinking about in terms of like, what are potential workarounds for this? And I touched upon this with the two of you before we started recording was um, shows like, for example, the, the Bletchley Circle that put women in the role of detective without um, embedding them in formally in law enforcement. And I think that that is, and I think that they end up sort of like hitting all of those same kind of confused moral centers and like give you that same rush of mystery without necessarily um perhaps unintentionally like co-signing really problematic myths that we hold as a culture um about cops about law enforcement agencies mm-hmm. um but it this also makes me feel like well wow this is just like yet another reason that it's so important for us to have better media literacy in our culture and be able to kind of watch things that might contain these underlying messages that are problematic or um, that might not line up with our values and be able to like process them in a way that doesn't then say like, well, I saw this and now I have like fully absorbed all of the values that it is intentionally or unintentionally signaling to me. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that I think we can have this conversation and then also be like, well, I enjoyed this piece of it and I didn't enjoy this piece of it. Like that, that to me is, yeah. is very valuable. I think increased media literacy is really important. And I've also seen a quite deliberate turn in some of my favorite 
thriller slash mystery writers towards having protagonists who are not cops mm-hmm. yeah um you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you have like a journalist who's like right. investigating a, a a mystery of some kind and it's just as compelling have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they just can't like interrogate someone in an interrogation <laughs> room or like you plant know. drugs from yeah. an evidence locker, yeah. for example, just to throw out a random example. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think of this maybe because of the specific way that I first encountered mysteries as like kind of the classic detective story. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is not a cop, you know, mm-hmm. Her- Hercule Poirot is like not a cop. Uh, Miss Marple is not a cop. Like I was reading these classic mysteries when I was first starting to read adult books, like an Agatha Christie is a great way to, to dip your toes into the world of adult fiction. And, you know, a lot of them were in like independent consultants or uh, Miss Marple is just like kind of a lady in a town where people keep dying. And I think it's an interesting artistic restriction because they can't just go in and interrogate people. Like how are they gathering their information? Plus you then get to have the cops be sort of hapless. Um, and so you get to sort of critique the, the police force through your detective story. And so that to me doesn't seem like a stretch. And I almost wonder how we arrived at this place where it seems like, like TV thrillers and murder mysteries are so dominated by police detectives. No, I think that that's such a good point. I mean, look at, I just thought of like Veronica Mars as a really, really excellent example of both Featuring uh, detective work at the center of the entire series, Veronica Mars is like a teen show, but it's actually like a noir and in form. And the sheriff in town is like one of the major antagonists of the entire series. And you have Veronica and her father kind of pushing back against uh, the structure of law enforcement and the way that specifically the way that like the sheriff in town terrorizes um, the kind of lower class, working class population in in the very rich town that that they live in, um, and the way that that intersects with with race, um, and and yet it feels just as thrilling in terms of like mystery structure, and I do wonder if hopefully maybe like after, you know, especially the last year, we will sort of see a shift away from that. I think it's like worth noting here that Mare was in production in 2018, which I'm not saying that like the actual context of the world was different. I'm not being Chris Harrison here, um, <laughs> but that the, the actual production of this show um, did start before kind of like the major yeah. resurgence in that in that discourse, like in, in the mainstream. Um, and I wonder if, if we would see this made or made in the same way two years later, three years. I've already seen people starting to say, Oh, is there going to be a second series? And what would that mean? And they should have held on to one of their mysteries if they wanted that to happen. (laughs) Guys, I should have kept one in the can. I really need prestige miniseries of all stripes to like stop trying to make like the sequel a thing like can we just yeah. like have a story and it's completed? I want a sequel but it's about Mare and Guy reuniting yeah, on like if, a if Greek a island I'll take it I'll yeah. take a rom-com it's fine like and we find out why we were supposed to care about their relationship 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I I also like have been hearing some questions of like, what does Mayor tell us about community policing? Because there's, you know, one critique of modern policing is that it's often just kind of like an occupying force. Uh, if you are in a major city like New York, the cops don't necessarily live uh, in the city. Um, people uh, are coming in with like military grade equipment and policing the people who live in these communities. And oh, wouldn't policing be better if the cops lived there, if they were invested in the community? And I think with mayor, we see both like the possibilities and the limits of that. Um, because obviously it matters very much to Mare uh, whether her community is safe and whether the people in her community are well. We see her with Freddie um, taking him in the beginning when his sister wants him out of the house because he's been stealing again. He's He's been high. She has him taken to a shelter um, instead of like just throwing him in jail there's this sense that like she cares about these people, she's invested in in what they do. But at the same time, it introduces this element of like Lori's own best friend is someone she can't really trust because her friend is a cop. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting wrinkle. Um, is that what we want? Like, is, is that what we want when we talk about community policing is for your closest friend and confidant to be someone who you have to like, be carefully guarded around in case she might arrest your 13 year old son. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, what, it, do we want the person to have a motivation to take heroin and plant it on their, their, mm. you know, daughter-in-law effectively? Um, there's just almost seems like there's too many mixed motivations for mayor. And I think even in the first episode, right. She gets really annoyed about the peeping Tom call because she's like, I'm, investigating this these things that are way more important than a peeping tom personally i would be really bothered if i had a peeping tom and i would want i would want that to stop but yeah no there is uh, she's like oh these people like i know this couple like they're just complaining um it doesn't cause her to give more care to them just because she knows them necessarily she treats them more as like almost like a personal, personally annoying friend rather than a professional uh, obligation. Um, yeah. And then of course we had to know that that peeping Tom situation was going to resurface at some point, but they buried it in all the other red herrings. So I forgot it even happened. And that's the magic of Mare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that the real hero of, of Mare was therapy. And one good thing I will say for this show is that it was like a big, like a plus for therapy. It was just like, everyone should get therapy. I don't care how gruff and emotionally cloistered you are. Just go to therapy, you go to therapy and you sit down. She'll ask you one question and, and you'll be, be like, here's the core of my emotional trauma. Thank you for asking. You know, most what? unrealistic therapy scenes. I've That's fine. Seen. I don't care. Tell also, her partner gets shot in front of her and she goes to therapy and her therapist is like, wow, big day for you. I saw you on TV. Like, what's it like to be famous? <laughs> Look, you'll be able to climb up into the attic of your soul um, if you go to therapy. Also, it, was, another... it was interesting. Um, I had someone that, that follows me on Instagram who is a trauma therapist reach out and be like, I actually really appreciate it. Um, 
the that end the attic because she was like a big part of the work that we often do with people around green trees like there is sort of a physical space that is a trigger point and like that actually is like a huge sign of growth and that like is something that we might like work towards um is being able to kind of re-enter that and I thought that that was yeah. I thought that was interesting I definitely see that I think what I'm what I'm speaking to with my mockery of the therapy is just my broader issue with Mare, which is that there's so much good stuff here um Kate Winslow's performance, a lot of these like themes that we've been talking about that I think are really interesting that they're engaging with, that they're not giving enough room to breathe. And to see her have these therapy scenes where she almost seems like she doesn't need therapy because she just immediately explains her trauma in very clear terms. Like that just speaks to the fact that she, we only see about five minutes of her at the therapist. Um, And yet it is a central theme of the show that she's going to therapy and dealing with her issue. Um, And so I do ultimately wish that maybe mayor had used its space a little differently mm-hmm. in order to let those things breathe a little bit more. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that there were like so many interesting, good things that I would have, that I want to see explored in the TV that I watch. Um, and they just like almost tried to do too much. <laughs> and even Kate Winslet, um, cannot necessarily pull off like 1000 subplots you know, should have been 15 <laughs> episodes. <clears throat> yeah. Opinion, it maybe should have been a, a little longer. Um, and I don't know. I mean, look, ultimately I agree with all these criticisms. I also really enjoyed having something like a show like this to dig my teeth into and think about for the last seven weeks. So I, I don't know, maybe that's like, part of the fun also is being able to like watch something and then obsessively pick it apart and then leave it and be able to kind of take the things that that did resonate with you and the things that you did like and yeah I don't know yeah Kate wins I, I forever did, I am glad that I watched it and I do not necessarily need everything that I watch to be perfect that is certainly held true by the fact that I've watched The Undoing three times in the last few weeks, <laughs> even though I've already seen it. And it, I think it is actually a way worse show in a lot of ways than there. Um, but yeah, I find it, I find these things interesting to watch and I pick up something new every time I rewatch something that has some content. And maybe Mare has so much content that, you know, I could watch it like five more times and pull apart some more threads. Yeah, I think there's something to that, that like it's a gift to the kind of audience that HBO shows have where people are just like, it's time to take to Reddit and like (laughs) pick apart it. They're like, we can't give them just a few things well explored because that's not quite enough to like dig into because it's so fun to to pick out all the different elements and threads. And they definitely went hard on that. And I appreciate that in its own way. Uh, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? No, thank you so much for letting me talk to you all about this. Oh, this is such a delight. Um, and before we wrap up, Esme, do you want to just tell everyone who's listening what you're working on right now and also where they can find you because you are a brilliant follow. Um, so I think, uh, you probably either want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Twitter is Esme Wang and Instagram is Esme W Wang. I also uh, run a membership community for ambitious writers living with chronic illness or disability. And all of that you can really find out 
um, more about on my socials, or you can just go to esmewang.com. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I have hoped this would happen for some time. So I'm very excited that we got to talk about Mare together and um, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Well, we'll definitely be having you um, back on to discuss some lighter bachelor things at some point, (laughs) certainly. So, So lots for everyone to look forward to. And on that note, that is it for this Rich Text audio chat. Thanks to our guest, Esme Wang. You can find on Instagram at Esme W. Wang, as previously mentioned. You can find us on Substack and on Instagram at Claire and Emma Pod. And you can also find us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emma Lady Rose. Until next time, friends, have a great week.